It's so many more things are cultural than are genetic. Mm. Mm. Yeah, cultural and I mean within that learned, like, um, and and directed by what you are, um, what you either put your body through each day or what you are asked to put your body through each day. So. There's no, we, it just wouldn't exist. But like, I would love to have footage of. I mean, I work out on Cockatoo Island, and I talk about the convicts all day, um, who are like splitting sandstone into bricks and um, digging like huge pits out of sandstone with hammers and chisels. Yeah. And I would love to just be able to watch them move, yeah. and what that movement would be like, um, given that kind of asking that kind of level of work. On their bodies, or yeah, well, I guess you just go muscles that are developing. You do that all day, and then you drink all night. Well, I don't know that they had do that much drinking, but um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, how much of it is yeah? I I would say quite a bit because your body changes depending on the work that you're doing too. Yeah. But yeah. And then your mind, if your mind all day is like, oh, your mind's just another deal muscle. with the pain move that thing over there at what point are you like i wonder if my belief system is responsive to its environment or if i've inherited it from somewhere mm. like that is not part of your survival mm. yeah and that's the same with creative like bringing it back to creative versus well, not creative verses but like creative holding creative and um facilitating roles in your head yeah. at the same time like there is some point or a point at which i go uh is doing so much facilitating work actually strengthening that muscle in my brain or strengthening those abilities and making those pathways clearer because when we're talking about brain we're talking about pathways mm-hmm. and what connects to what and, mm-hmm. and strengthening those and am I making those pathways stronger when I would really or should really um, like to be spending Balanced time yeah. or spending time strengthening the pathways as an artist how do you strengthen pathways as an artist? Well, you practice. Okay. <laughs> like anything else. Like, you, you do it more than you do other things or mm. you do it more regularly. Mm. Um, and you and it's not so much, like, I think part of it within the creative is um, strengthening the pathways so that you are able to access it more quickly mm. so you can work more fluidly and in this day and age quickly <laughs> because create like you just don't have the time to yeah sit with stuff because yeah. of funding and a whole heap of other like yeah pillar issues around the outside of it um but also so that there is a confidence you know which i don't know that you know i have that many friends who are artists who would consider themselves confident um on the other hand there are quite a few who consider themselves very good at what they do <laughs> <laughs> but, but do you know what I mean like there's a yeah, yeah. something within the confidence in what you actually want to do like because creativity is often very close to your heart um, the analysis is the bit that is you know you can step away from yourself and you can work out whether or not what you what you're what you're doing is shit or not but mm. the free-flowing stuff is really yeah, there's an essence within that. Um, yeah. There's a text called um, 
the manager's schedule and the maker's schedule and talks about the manager's schedule being chunks of one hour blocks typically and completely interchangeable mm. and the maker's schedule being at the very least half day blocks mm. where you can fall into the need or desire or foresight mm. to work on something mm. without needing to be aware enough of yourself and this current time and the clock and shit like that mm. so that you can be at the next thing. Mm. And then I think the maker schedule also um, is a space, like it needs an enforced, in a way it needs an enforced space or a regular space, a regularity of space because it's no good, like, I mean, the way I'm working at the moment is crazy. Um, <laughs> but, like, I don't have any... You know, often when I am back in Sydney and I'm working sort of as I am at the moment, mm-hmm. I have a, a routine where I, every morning I'm going, I get up and I go to a cafe and I write solidly for an hour. Mm. And that's great. And within those weeks, I usually get through heaps and I feel like I've got a real creative, like, momentum going with those projects. And I, yeah, yeah. And, and what I get done is, like, tons. Like, I'll use one hour's worth of work for weeks and weeks and weeks and like dip into it and go back to it and tease it out and pull it out but um yeah but if you're if you don't have the ability to put yourself into that routine or you don't have the ability to carve out half day and force yourself to not answer the phone book the next gig you know mm. sort out the gas bill <laughs> um all of those things then and it's so easy to do that and that's where I'm at at the moment is like doing the easy things well I'm, I'm like I'm also having to do those things for now yeah like there's no way to avoid it but yeah I'm gonna have tantric <laughs> yeah yeah you forget what it's like to be super creative and just let yourself be that for a while so how do you how, so you're in the cafe mm-hmm. and you know you've got some hours and then how like you have you've got like a mission statement at the top of the page or no. you've got a pen I've got a pen okay I've got a piece of paper I usually I, I don't like sometimes typing's great I don't often often take a, a computer to the cafe I yeah. kind of like just writing um, straight onto paper mm. um, which often helps to like get movement because there's actual like physical like typing is different mm. there's a different kind of style to typing whereas pen yeah. and paper you have a like there's a study that I heard recently flow. typing uh, results in transcribing mm. whereas writing results in cognition mm. you're yeah. cognizant of what you're doing because of the movement that enforces yeah which is weird because there's also movement going on mm. but yeah I know what you mean mm. um and yeah and then I often have a, a project in mind or I pick a project okay. so you know I have a few yeah I've heard that you've got a few things my... going on <laughs> shush <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and I'll often pick something and I'll try and write for the for on, on that for, and work out what the question is that I'm banging against yeah right um, which is often the way that I work out why I've not spent time on that have you come up with a good question well, I think part of any project is coming up with the question. With the question, and part of my problem is actually that I very often answer the question 
and try to make a show about the answer and that's shit (laughs) so maybe my question before is like is there a cosmopolitan hyper distributed um non-hierarchical folk dance Mm. that is happening yeah and that would be the question that i am proposing yeah and then that people come in thinking about yeah and that we spend the time together dancing about or something yeah and and posing that question in so many different ways and posing other people's potential views Mm. on the different shades of thought around that concept rather Mm. than coming up with what you think yeah because i've decided that i have a dance i just don't know what it is because i haven't been taught it because i'm somehow existing in this whitewash of non-culture which Mm. Didn't include a dance, my, my kind of culture pack that I got given. Yeah, so that's kind of the reason why that you would yeah. go about that investigative process. Yeah, but it's the investigation that is far more fruitful. And interesting. And interesting. Um, mm. Than the conclusion. You know, that's not new information to me, but I forgot. Mm. And I think everyone does. Like, I'm not saying, you know, everybody does. <laughs> It's okay, Matt. Everybody it's be okay. <laughs> but like, because I mean, analytical just, mind is yeah. solve the shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And especially if you're university trained or you've come from a university setting, like yeah, university right. is, the show you on. know, um, give the examples of how you came to the conclusion, but find the conclusion. Like, don't don't not find the conclusion. Mm. Um, I think you can pose an answer. Like, you can be like, well, that's why I poser. think it is, or you can like suggest. But I don't, yeah, but that's part of what I learned in Manila this year, working on that project with Aya is, and going through the process of, that amazing process of meeting with dramaturgs and mm. amazing artists every night and getting them to like, well, and them just hazing me basically and going through and like asking a hundred questions about mm. what I was doing and getting me to articulate it properly for people who don't understand several, you know, for people who have limited English as well as people who are very articulate and yeah know a lot about it but um was that I kept answering the question and that's and the answer wasn't even a good one (laughs) it wasn't an interesting enough question like that was that was the problem yeah um and so if you just yeah you kind of yeah you're not shifting anything you're just preaching to the choir and nobody else will be interested yeah, the people who you're answering who agree with you have already know the answer. Mm. And the people who don't agree with you will think you're an idiot. And there's no because it's not a question for them. But if mm. you're asking a question and then and then shifting between different modes of answering or the different mm. the different concepts around and the different kinds of investigation around that question and the hang ups and the problems and the then that is far more interesting and far more engaging for a wide range of people because everyone's part of the conversation. Um, and that's kind of where we go to with, like, Best Festival Ever to segue into my other work with um, making uh, large-scale, large-scale interactive games that mm. it, it, to explain complex system science. Um, Love system theory. Yeah, so we set out to do that to explain um, uh, resilience theory or resilience thinking around environments, mm. which is um, just in a nutshell, like how resilient an environment is. Mm. Like, 
if uh, we we can if if an environment is super resilient, then an earthquake won't change much. Like there'll be an earthquake, then the next day the environment will be much the same. Um, if it is a less resilient system, mm. then an earthquake might mean the whole environment shifts completely. When I say environment, that can be yeah, that could just be a household million different things. That could be a house. That could yeah. be an ant's nest. That could be yeah. um, the entire earth. Um, and when I say shock, it could be, um, you know, <sighs> mum not coming home from work for you know years for a year, uh, which could be a shock. Or it could be um, the hamster died. Or it could be um, dad got a huge promotion at work. Like, that, it could be good things too, which is one I'm trying to do. Yeah, Not right. just hamsters dying in my Like, you know, in, when you're talking about rural, rural towns, like gold discovered in a rural town in the 1890s would have been a huge shock to that township mm. because that would have mean meant yeah. and the whole system of working would have shifted yeah. um, and resilience is about staying staying pretty stable sometimes you want good resilience sometimes you want resilience sometimes you want to enact change yeah. you, want resilient, you don't want a resilient system poverty is a very resilient system because capitalism is a resilient system yes mm. um, it's hard to know what's a symptom and what's a system um true like is alcoholism a resilient system or is individualism a resilient system and alcoholism is a symptom of if you're talking about alcoholism as a um dependency like as a drug dependency then it's a complex system and it's quite resilient because um, it's like it's chemical based. It's chemical based, and one thing leads to it. And it's chemical based, but it, you could also say, I mean, now we're talking about alcoholism. Um, <laughs> what a podcast you've got here, Matt. Um, it's also uh, environmental. Um, it's also genetic. There's a genetic, like. Um, predisposition. Predisposition. Well, some people argue there's a genetic predisposition, it's the psychological. Um, trait that that um, seems to occur there, where you see it generationally. Wow. So there's lots of different things, but there's obviously not the thing that um, can shift, or it takes a lot to shift someone out of that once they are, once they are, within, once they once they describe themselves yeah, as being alcoholic. Because it's resilient. Because it's very resilient. Jeez. Yeah, and the same with you know. Yeah, and, and, and you could even look at that not just within the one person uh, and the individual, but also within the family, also yeah. within the community. Like, yeah. um, I've often wondered that about people that have become so obese that they can't get out of bed, mm. that the system is still there for somebody to maintain that obesity mm. and bring them whatever it is required to maintain that obesity mm. and systems within other systems yeah i don't know like, mm. and you would because those are all all the smaller systems the subsystems are all quite resilient yeah as well yes you would need each of those subsystems to shift so to not be resilient to be to mm. be able to be shifted enough for the mm. bigger system to to shift i think the 
nuclear family as a system is part of our Australian identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems super resilient that you do you as the Australian man, you are conquering things for the unit, mm. and then you can. And I think that's also inherited from America. But you mm. like almost anything is excusable if you're doing it for your family. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, yeah, I would say the ideal or the ideology of yeah. the, com- the of the. Yeah, yeah, the nuclear family as a yeah, complex system in the nuclear family. Oh, yeah, because there's almost never a, an example case no. of an ideology. No, and, 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 and in his, like, past times where this has been the thing that we've always held up as being like, in the 50s, it was, like, it was like this. It was like, bullshit. 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 Like, yeah, we right. might have been all pretending that and we might have all been holding that up as yeah. being like the, you know, picture in the window. Yeah. But... Um, in actual fact, when you start talking, to, when you start reading about people's stories or their family history or any of that, like, find me two stories that are the same. Yeah. It's really quite, yeah, especially in Australia. Mm. Like, I mean, especially everywhere in the world, but especially in Australia because that's what I'm most fluent in. Mm. Um, in Australian. Hmm? In Australian, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Arr. <Arr>. <laughs> the pirates. <laughs> the pirates come back out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, what we are working with there is, uh, in, with BFE, is explaining complex system science using board games and interactive gameplay. Mm. Mm. But we're also, like, one of the big things that we have to start with is who is it for? How do we reach them? Um, and with that one, at least, we knew we wanted it to be looking at resilience. So the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about resilience, especially within our science um, framework mm. is the environment right mm. now because it's sort of you know um, climate change and all the rest of it but we didn't want to make a show that was only for people who were already on board with us believers believers <laughs> uh, climate believers um so we were very definitely like working to make something that we could get people who weren't who just didn't, didn't think about us it to come and play um, yeah. to get them past the bit where they're like, oh, well, that's just bullshit, and get them to play and not try and put up any kind of force, any kind of our ideals or our beliefs onto them mm. in order to bring them to a place where conversation was um, something that could be had. Mm. And the, um, the evidence that they had by that point would be to toward analyzing what they knew about um resilience resilient systems climate well that whether or not they applied it to climate change wasn't something that we were aspiring to no. it would be a happy accident if that happened yes but that was what we were setting out to do so posing this question hmm. um and that's why it ended up being about a festival a music festival which is pretty inane um has an environmental Root, but it's also fun. It's mm. silly. It doesn't have too many scientific words in the title. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It could it could just be a fun night out of the theatre. Yes. Um, and then using that as like I always describe it as like um, you know the idea of mum pureeing the vegetables and putting them through the spaghetti bolognese to get them into the kids like that kind of. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so they don't know what they're getting until they've got it, and then. Mm. And then, it, and then you can go from there. Like, yeah. you know. 
It's also just like it's standing on the um, the pre-existing construct of board games. Mm. Just get together and play. I mean, I didn't play many board games because Darwin's almost always sunny. Oh, same in yeah, same in. But I know people who grew up in Canberra, for example, and they have like big memories of board games, like the Americans do with peanut butter that the Australians don't really have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a cold weather thing. Board games are like the stores overseas that just like yeah. I was in um, Norway just before Christmas one year. And like bookstores and news agencies everywhere just chock a full of the newest, best board games. Because mm. I'd just come from the International Board Game Festival. So yes, yes, <laughs> I'm outing myself as a total nerd, um, which is incredible. Mm. It's hilarious. I'm going again this year. Where um, is it? In Essen, Germany, okay, which okay. is like Western Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Not far from Dusseldorf. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, an amazing place called Duisburg, which I love because um, it has a great name. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's like Homebush um, with board games. Yeah, great. Like the Olympic Park, but just building after building after building of like board games and board games and people teaching you how to play board games. Mm. Um, but yeah, they were like Norway just packed out with board games because it's Christmas. It's snowing. It's freezing. Yeah, right. That sound. It sounds like board games are a system. Um. Yes, every board game is a system, mm. or is in some way. But yeah. I was working on a. Sh- I don't even know what it was. I, we had one development, and then no other money came through. So, sure. what is that? It's an idea. Yeah. <laughs> With a, a collaborator called Jenny Large, and it was on. It was trying to create a system for joy, actually. Cool. Um, and the. There were just two of us this time and we applied for cash and to get five of us, but we were going to construct a system that we followed um, in a performance context that would result in our joyful dancing. But the other, the questions were what, what is the what do you do that makes you joyful and then when you're joyful what are the movements that you do in response Ooh, to being joyful that's really cool yeah and, um and so there are like there are a couple of just really beautiful absurd things that we came up with and um they, they ran the gamut from touching and sentimental to ridiculous and frustrating and monotonous because they had to like it's almost like joy is about the ride if you're developing a system to get you into joy it's almost like just being stretched every now and again like a slinky is not so joyful when it's still true things like that Mm. um so I don't know where yeah. that's going, but it was yeah, like yeah. The, the performance, the dance performance as a system rather than as a set choreographic mm. uh, reenactment or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I'm fascinated by too is like how like one of the things we ended up doing with BFE was we end, because we were researching all this like systems modelling and mm. what a system is, creating a show through that process too like creating a system Mm. and then creating a story by manipulating 
the way the system worked. Mm. And then you start thinking, I mean, as I said before, with the, like looking at um, the creative process and the, the tool of analysis of looking at shifting between the two sides of the brain, and it really is only a tool of categorization through which to view the world. Um, I mean, we were studying systems and how systems work, so it became the tool of um, how we viewed the world for a while, um, and particularly how we made the work. And mm. I think that's fascinating mm. and a really interesting way of documenting particularly devised work, which is something that I, I'm... It's another one of my projects that <laughs> I have in my book <laughs> that I, like, occasionally sit down and, like, try to write the next bit of. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, like, the scientific process of um, systems co-modelling of how you analyse a system mm. um, that is obviously already in effect yeah, right. um, and you look at all of the you look at from all the different angles so you look at its um, scale so you look at uh, how wide a field do you look is it uh, is are you looking at just one room in a building are you looking at um, an entire city block are you looking at the country are you mm. looking at and then um, what time frame you're looking at it within um are you looking at uh, who the people are, who are the stakeholders in the system? Um, so if you're looking at potentially a, a family flat or a family home, the stakeholders mm. in the system are um, the family, the animals, the land, land owner, the um, neighbours potentially, mm. if they are, yeah, the neighbours potentially, um, yeah, and so the people who have a stake in that piece of land and what happens to that piece of oh, or that system and what happens to that system mm. um, and the feed-ins and the feed-outs so grandma might be a feed-in and a feed-out do you know what I mean because she comes over and has an interaction with the family um, all of those things so we actually started using that to craft our own space our own narrative so when we started thinking about the festival we started thinking about the uh, like what what is um, who are the stakeholders within the festival? Who are the um, how big is the festival? Are we talking about uh, like two week period, or are we talking about a three day period? Are we talking about just looking at one day? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about looking at one moment within that day? Mm. Um, and yeah, and then finding a narrative that would go through that system. Mm. So you can then use that as a tool to make a work like you could sit down and try and make middle earth through that kind of tool you're Mm. creating a world you're creating and it's really quite an ingrained world like it's quite a detailed world it's got a lot of challenge like you pose an idea and then you challenge it on so many different levels and in challenging it you have to come up with more detail and more um depth and more Mm. color within that um, to make it more real and all of that is creative and invented and you have to match it up with whatever you've made before otherwise it doesn't make any sense mm. but yeah um, so and what about the the using it as a frame for documenting work or documenting process yeah it's been really interest, like really useful in doing that too um there's a company that we've been working with in the UK called Coney HQ mm-hmm. um, or Coney and they started, we actually, um, cons- they used us as consultants mm-hmm. on one of their projects because they do big interactive theatre works 
and they were doing one called Early Days of a Better Nation, which was a big, um, yeah, big event where they were getting group, uh, the audience to come, be split into different groups um, and characterised as different groups and then to come into the space and they would have an election basically mm -hmm. um, for a new country. And so analysing how um, people react within that situation, ideology versus negotiation versus, yeah, pardon me, mm. whole heap of stuff. Um, and they actually came and sat with us and we went through that process of putting, poking holes in there in what they had come up with and getting them to fill them in order to strengthen the work that they were making and the story behind it, the narrative that they were sinking it within and mm. um, the environment that they were asking us to invest in um, through that process of, yeah. It, and I believe it could be a, a really good way to document as well, like particularly those those pieces of work that don't deal with being documented just purely as a script. But yeah. Yeah, how do you document a large-scale interactive performance work? Um, I guess you just keep some of the posters. Yeah, that's usually then, how we do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you give one to your mum and you put one under the bed mm -hmm. and then in 20 years you're like, oh, yeah, I, used, I, mm -hmm. I did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or your mum pulls it out from under the bed and goes, ah, <laughs> another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how do you... How is the system of documenting different than the system of creating or the system that gets created? Mm. The system of creating is, um, is very, the system of creating is very much like bits of paper on a wall, <laughs> um, but like enlisting and, and pretty much negotiating. Um, yeah. Part of the way that it works for me is because I'm working with a group, mm. uh, it becomes a sort of a, a, um, an agreement mm. of what we all consider that world to be because you're creating a world together so and you all have different views of that world. So the arguments actually come where you have to negotiate what is in and what isn't in that world. So this becomes a bit like a contract. Um within that documentation for what you are yeah. including in it um, what you present uh, is it doesn't have a lot to do with that documentation I mean it does because that it's come out of it but it doesn't have a lot to do with that documentation because you don't want to be seeing the um, the thread yeah, the scene. yeah you don't want to see the scene within that kind of work or mm. with anything any work um, and in terms of documentation for future use, um, having it broken down in that way can often give you a map of how the performance works. So through all of those things, you should actually be able to come up with um, sort of that pencil paper diagram of how the system works. So, um, particularly when the system or the show isn't something that has a beginning or an end. It's a cycle that you begin at a point and you continue within. Um, 
you can map that out and then show at what point as an artist you've decided that the show will enter that hmm. cycle um i remember being on a tour in the uk for a dance company that we all quit actually after that tour wow and because the director felt it coming um in response to his treatment of us all he asked everybody to write out their things that they do when they're not on stage because there were other things that needed to happen backstage to prep scenes and whatever because he must have realized at the 11th hour that to replace us would mean a reinvention <laughs> of the system yeah he was like hedging his bets against that but i also was thinking about there's a dance show that's opening in Perth in a couple of days which will be a few weeks ago when this podcast goes up mm. um, by a team called Praxis which is Laura Boynes and Alexander Boynes and Tristan Parr mm. and they are dealing with like world systems and hyper objects and hyper phenomena and meta phenomena mm. but the only way to make a dance and sound and um, visuals from that is to when they're in the studio thinking about these things create a culture between them and then engage and interact with each other in the manner of that culture um, mm -hmm. and culture as a system mm -hmm. and then that is what is presented and it, it seems like they're presenting a system dealing with those things rather than presenting representations or um, statements about those things mm. Yeah. Interesting. When does yeah? When does that start? Soon. Yeah, Friday. Oh. It's called Dark Matter. Cool. Um, and Laura and Alexander are brother and sister, and Tristan is the partner of Laura and is a cellist. Mm -hmm. Laura's like the choreographer she's in charge where are the women they're at the top <laughs> in that project yeah um yeah. if we're talking about the extreme value in getting to the question and then holding on to the question rather than discarding it on the way to the mm. resolve um what what is a question that you would ask that you think that i should ask you <laughs> <laughs> yeah what the hell are you doing <laughs> yeah I mean it's not uncommon for me to say out loud what am I doing with my life um, and then just keep going yeah. actually because what else can you do about oh, the things that you need to do yeah you've come, we've come this far <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. although I am I have been writing an application for critical path research residency about like the choreography of capital and currencies and populations and reframing all of that movement as a choreography and if I can act as a choreographer within a system at that scale mm. but I think I may be a little bit um, attached to putting submitting that application simply because of the sunk cost mm. and this other question about what is the dance that all of us that are in our interchangeable cities are doing that I haven't started writing on 
seems to be much more appropriate to submit. But mm. sunk cost fallacy, it's like, it's real. Mm. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah, but what are you doing? Is that the question that I should ask you? <laughs> that was the first one you said. <laughs> yeah. But there are other questions. Yeah. There, yeah. Maybe there's a more specific question. A more specific question. If you were me, well, yeah, what do you think I should well, ask what do you? What are you, what are you seeking? Um, the, the, the right question, the best question to ask. Yeah, but there's no best question, Matt. There's merely questions oh. leading to other questions. Yeah, but there's the best like questions. useful questions and then there's... There's useful questions and then so, like, yeah, what's for dinner is not useful. Uh, in other contexts, it's very useful. So useful. Um, um, oh, what is the most useful question? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, what? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the useful question is the one that is going to take you somewhere else within that context. So, I mean, I can talk about useful question for me uh, as me, like, right now. Is it like the, the construct the of your self-identity? Yeah, the question, I'm like, which is, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, ah. <laughs> which is where that one came from. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as a, as a, like, as an artist... The question that I'm always asking is, um, it, like, is is this wow? Is this which is this the thing that you is this the thing that comes next? Is this the thing that comes? Is this the next point of research on the path towards creating something? bigger than what you have done before or creating something more advanced is this the next and how do you find the how do you gather together enough um resources or enough material to be able to push forward into that next um pocket so there's all the things that i'm interested in which as you've probably gathered by now are disparate and um long-winded and (laughs) um and some of them are useful and some of them are not right now, mm. but will eventually be gathered up one way or another. Um, yeah, but working out which is the one that is going to be useful right now and is something that I'm going to be pushing ahead with. One of the artists that I was working with in Manila, um, she she did a great presentation, Isa Hoxson, who I just adore and is, yeah, I'm very glad to call friend now. Um, but she said the three questions that she asks when she starts a process. And her first question is, how can I sell this? And I fell in love with that. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Um, but, like, how, how can I sell this? Um, I can't remember the third one, maybe. But um, will this maintain my interest? Like, will this hold on to my interest? Because she often works for a year or two years in an investigatory phase um, and research phase on a project mm. um, before presenting 
yeah and presenting the work she's also like she's a um, visual artist and sculptor as well and so she also works through drawing which is why i said yeah mm. dance off and draw and she she was one of the people that came to mind within that um in terms of the visual representation behind that um so will this maintain my interest and i can't remember the third one off the top of my head i have it written down but yeah how who who is this who am i selling this to and it's not a sexy question <laughs> and it's not a um something that uh, like an, an artist or it's not an inspirational question but it is something that you like it saves a lot of um running down back alleys with thought right. um, existential angst yeah well yeah because it gives you a direction it gives you a direction and it places you within a context of people yeah and it places you within a context of possible success Oh yeah, which also I like that. Which also leads to let's, well, let's continue you know to place I mean? ourselves in a context. Yeah, I think that's a really good place. <laughs> um, potential success. Yeah, which then hopefully leads to more investment, which hopefully leads to greater creative risks, which hopefully leads to continuing to be able to survive and succeed within the arts industry, which is at the best of times a bit of a challenge. Mm. Um, so I think that's one of my favourite ones so far. Nice. Um, although hilariously, it's probably more within the facilitating direction than that. That's okay. You have to ask those questions anyway. Um, it sort of prevents navel gazing, also. One of the questions that I ask myself is: <clears throat> Is there a better form or medium or context or? Uh, environment for this thing to be dealt with mm. than this mm. then so right now we're in my podcast form but I don't um, there are many ideas that are going to work much better as a song and so I'll just do work out how to make that song mm. and and then go and try and make it if that's the best way and I think it also relieves the the um uh, it's another assistant towards success mm. because you're giving yourself already the head start of being in a form that is uh maybe useful is the wrong word but sympathetic to your question mm. yeah yeah absolutely and that yeah there's always the questions that you ask yourself when you've just begun that creative process of like how like eh, there's there's the creative idea that is um, great but then there is the time that you spend interrogating that creative idea so it does something different or it does something new or it reveals something that isn't that is refreshing and not sentimentalizing um or sentimentalizing in a different way. It's doing something useful, it's active, rather than, um, yeah, rather than purely reflective. And that's something that I always ask with my work, is that it is not just purely reflective. Mm -hmm. It's it's interrogating, or it pushes forward into, um, yeah, asking another question, or asking something further. Which tends to overcomplicate matters, but 
it's something that I'm aiming for. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what that is, but it feels like that's what I'm aiming for. That I, yeah, it's like that thing that Ira Glass, if you know that one, don't you? The Ira Glass. Um, there's a little TED talk that he did about. Um, young artists and it's sort of a pep talk for young artists as older artists often do and he articulates the idea that when you're young or you're a younger artist you um are you're creating and you should always be continuing to create because even if it's not even if what you produce is not what you had envisioned what you're working towards is one day producing what you envision Hmm. And so that's the gap that you're trying to fill. Um, so it's not, you're not working into an abyss. You have the thing that you envision um, being out there. Yeah. Um, and then all you are working at is your skills in being able to exert that and yeah. being able to achieve. Yeah, I think the one liner that I read that I think sums up what you're saying is that it takes a long time for your skills to catch up with your taste. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. actually, because otherwise mm. your taste isn't like dragging you along very far. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's where I'm still trying to work it out, <laughs> as we all are, I think, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, it's the nature of doing something that there seems to be not much demand for. You can't just be fulfilling demand. No. But you're doing the thing that you need to do so that you don't end up uh, like bitter mm. about the world mm. or something. But often whatever you do to fulfill that is combined, like comes, comes into nothing is ever wasted. Yeah. that's the. There's an essay I read on this called thinking lean and thinking fat or something mm-hmm. talking about business cycles and that we're in a lean cycle at the moment and the idea is behind um efficiency mm. and when you're in a fat cycle there are research and development departments that are experimenting rather than innovating and trying to solve a problem they are following curiosities and intuitions and quite often because there's fat in the system it drips over the edge into other companies that benefit from that research Mm. and the company that that had enough fat in its um, production cycle to have people following curiosities for no reason Um, they don't often financially benefit from the thing Um, but then the rest of the world does because it means that it has come into existence Mm. like GPS, like internet, like the graphical user interface Mm. yeah, like a lot of things Mm. yeah, absolutely it'd be nice to get back to some more fat yeah, it would maybe we are working in the fat we're just Mm. <laughs> given the community funding has been cut twice in the last, you know, eighteen months, I yeah. think we are. And there is that thing, like, I mean, this is another one of my little, I don't know, interests in Australia is that kind of the idea of the artist as the creative genius. Like, yeah. um, you know, in, you're not a creative genius. Oh, I don't think so. 
<laughs> Sorry if I gave that impression. Oh yeah, I was solid. <laughs> but now you've un- undermined. <laughs> but like, I, I think I'm thinking more about in terms of children, uh, like education, and like the artists, ah. the artists as a child coming through an education system, and like yeah. we constantly are looking for the child who shows signs of being, you know, the performer or the. The mm-hmm. musician and then mm-hmm. holding them up as being like oh well they're going to be that or they're going yeah but in actual fact i think creativity whilst i think everyone is inherently in one way or another creative and a lot of it is actually learned like if you, yeah um yeah and as a result because we believe that the creative is a genius then there is this idea that the creative can't do anything else and the creative um, we'll do it no matter what, which, you know, is in some ways true. Um, and also that the creative doesn't need, there doesn't need to be any funding towards, cre- like, uh, the creative development or the creative process because the creative genius will just be able to do it no right. matter what. Um, yeah. And then there's also the disenfranchise franchisement of anyone who doesn't seem to be and this may sound very sour and like and who's a, but like I don't believe it that way but like uh, anyone who doesn't seem to be turning out to be the next genius as in the next superhero celebrated creative, the next celebrated genius um, which is hilarious yeah. given we also like to celebrate the underdog we're a nation of contradictions. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies the tension. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the inability to deal with our own bullshit. Because as soon as you like scratch it, it's like, ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Mm. Showed yeah. us that? I mean, it sounds like a lot of effort. What do you mean? Being an artist. <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> hate to break it. <laughs> How do I tell you? Um, um, yes, I what, don't know. Do you have a do you, why? 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 What's your biggest hope for all of this effort? Ah, um, <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, this is another good question that I really should be asking myself. Um, but. My, I suppose my biggest hope is that we will... Oh, there's too many different hopes, Matt, um, as usual. There's, there's my, one of my hopes is that we manage to shift the ideology of the arts in Australia. Um, and I think we're going to have to... Well, I think we're going to have to, but I don't know if it'll be in those words uh, in terms of the way that uh, innovation is being spoken about these days. And in terms of the brave new world we're about to encounter where, um, you know, it's not going to be that long before uh, every um, person in the workforce is going to be much more skilled on a computer than I am, which isn't saying much, but, like, um, yeah, I think creativity is something that we are, like, not quite prepared for the fact that we need to be skilled in. Mm. Yes, yeah, because if you're focusing on, I guess it's because four-year government terms, but innovation, that there's iteration, mm. and that can sometimes lead to innovation, mm. but it almost never leads to invention. Mm. And invention needs to happen from 
often from working, from a base of skills, but also a mindset of unaimed curiosity. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I work a lot in forms that are going to remain what they are, I think, like theatre, you know, I don't think theatre is getting that much bigger than it is right now in Australia. Like, I am hoping to um, be working towards creating um, more rigorous theatre mm. um, and interesting theatre and moving away from um, a tradition of, of really sentimental stuff. Like, I think in the last five years, we've seen some, seen, seen a couple of amazing productions, but also a real strong, yeah, underline of some really boring stuff mm. um, and and not not pushing or not uh, interrogating as we were five or six years ago. Mm. Um, potentially that's just me who has watched too many theatre performances now and I'm getting a bit, you know, over it all, but I don't think it is. Like, I think we're not asking the questions the same way we were and I think that's something that really needs to happen and that's why I love working on crack because um crack theater festival <laughs> thank you to the people who named the crack theater festival uh yes you get to deal with two years of people laughing at you mm. by saying yeah so once I finish crack um, so I'm on crack at the moment. Um, yes, we'll get it all out of our system. There's some quotes yeah, for you. It's keeping you awake. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I'll edit those into the... Thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nikki Kennedy. So I'm on crack <laughs> right now. Um, it's keeping me up. <laughs> but it's a great way to meet people. <laughs> they come up with the most amazing things. Um, we're not all on drugs. Uh, but like these, this is the place where you find those interesting ideas and those those things that aren't being aren't being said elsewhere for some reason or another, and especially the day with all of like these amazing women, like yeah, these are the things that aren't being said elsewhere and mm. need and and once you were putting money behind those, then they're also getting more skilled and they're also. Um, yeah, developing how to produce their work and present their work, how to talk about their work, how to, yeah. I think it's going to be interesting if we move beyond artificial narrow intelligence that we have at the moment to artificial general intelligence, if that happens in our lifetime. Mm. It's going to be very interesting uh, to consider these moments when we come together to experience something together and the frameworks for those really are often performances and the more interactive often mm. the more enlightening <clears throat> mm. and that um, a large festival of tens of thousands of people is not really coming together. Mm. Mm. Um, but it feels like it. It feels like it. And there is it because there's a different set of rules that you can live within for those few days. And yeah, that's absolutely. really nice. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm also fascinated about what happens when 
our augmented reality is in our contact lenses rather than needing to hold a device and we are no longer sharing the space mm. because we have different spaces. Mm. Uh, Do you think that there might be a backlash within that? I think... Like, we'll get to a point where we're so... We've separated ourselves so much that we actually are seeking out connection. I think... Because I feel like we already see some of that. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think things like... um. Turning your phones off at the cinema? Not quite, but... <laughs> That's kind of a backlash. It is a backlash, but also... It's um, saying there are places where these things should not happen, or that where you yeah. put your phones on the table at dinner and the first one to pick it up has to pay the bill. Ah, I haven't played that one before. Mm, no, me neither, because I can't afford to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a whole heap of stuff around etiquette with phones, which I think is going to be hilarious to work out in the next couple of years. Like, I think the etiquette we're going to have to work out is that when we stop inputting with keyboards and we start inputting with our voice, mm. we're going to be either become super attuned to when somebody's talking to us or talking to their personal computer mm. or we're not going to become attuned to that and we'll always assume that somebody is talking mm. Or that their their pocket AI is listening to them. Mm. I mean, mm. Siri ideally would listen to your conversation and not store any of it. And then when I'm talking to you about a thing that I saw last week and it noticed, it noticed that I took the phone out of my pocket, it would bring up the image without mm. me having to press... It's ridiculously slow to press buttons with your thumbs on a touchscreen. Mm. So I think there, there's like the idea of the collapsing interface mm. Mm. and it'll be very interesting when our interfacing with machinery becomes as sophisticated as our interfacing with each other. Mm. Mm. And then does that mean that there is now an audience, a machine audience for our get-togethers? Hey, finally. <laughs> finally there's an explosion of audience. And just all machines. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, let's do that show. Um, we just do a show just for machines and we get them all to record it. They all have video cameras in their, like, heads or whatever their heads are. And <laughs> the show is just, the yeah, augmented through their vision. <laughs> I'm not sure what the show's about yet, but I'm sure there's something there. Um, well, yeah. But I, I think also, like, once we get to a certain point, like, of being so separated out into our own interests, that like, mm. there's actually the backlash, which is things like, um, you know, online communities also show this, but, like, even Pokemon Go, like, mm. the idea that even in our, even in our, like, changed um, interaction with the world in terms of, like, being... On our own having our own environment basically given to us the way we can set it up the way we want to set it up mm. and we can be we can rehash the things that we want to hear and the beliefs that we want to have and we can pocket us and you know pat ourselves into these like nice little mm. cells and pillows you were talking about before the pillows yeah exactly the pillows um i think that we will feel even more of a need to seek each other out so maybe i'm wrong maybe theater is about to go boom <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe this is just the way that like the world works that we're going to come back to needing connection to one another um, but yeah I think 
we must be in a cycle at the moment of individualism and that we'll reach peak individualism and we'll fall back. It's a great name for a show. Peak individualism. Oh, man. Let's make that show. <laughs> This is, this is this is how I get to my How do we make that, that show? <laughs> Peak individualism. I don't mm. know. We've got the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's do the eyes of Hoxton. Uh, who are we going to sell it to? Who are we going to sell it to? Well, individuals. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> okay. And is it going to keep us sustained? Well, yeah. Maybe. I don't think it's a problem that's going to disappear quickly. No, it's not going to disappear quickly. It's something that we're all facing at the moment. So, mm. it's topical. Mm. Um, who like are we going to sell it to? <laughs> Who we're going to sell it to? I mean, if it involved technology, there's a few spaces we could maybe. It can't not involve. I can't not involve technology. We all are. Uh, peak I'm, individualism. There's even like, if you get real macro thinking about it, if you are immunized, then you're some kind of augmented biological system, mm. technologically augmented. And I have been immunized. Mm. So have I. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, okay. Cyborgs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we probably shouldn't do that for the anti-vax community. That might just be, I don't know, fueling a fire. I I believe. In what? Um, In having a discourse between what biology has given us and what we have managed to work out through observation and being able to respond to that. And if I don't, I don't think that um, considered and smart and correct vaccination is any different than realising that it's unhealthy to be too cold and so layering your body with things because you've decided that you're going to exist somewhere that your biology wasn't made for. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of other conversations within that. So many conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Even like um, the movie Ghost in the Shell. It's like an old manga classic. Mm. And oh, there's, I've heard of it, yeah. there's um, detectives and a police force and they are all somewhat augmented technologically to be better at their jobs. But the augmentations are still property of the government mm. that have paid for them to be installed. It's a really nice dis- discourse about the blood brain barrier and conversation is actually my favorite book about that is called project ito i-t-o-h and it's like three teenage girls in post-apocalyptic japan um and there's augmented reality information everywhere and in your bloodstream and taking care of you and everything and they're trying they form a suicide pact as a way to reclaim agency of their own bodies mm because their bodies are seen as part of like a social good that you need to take care of. Yeah, it's beautiful. And beautiful is in like, oh, we might have to deal with that one day. Yeah. That's what I love sci-fi for. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you? Is there anything that I've failed to ask you that you'd like to touch on? No, oh, I don't think so. There's, you know, there's tons. Everything. There's everything. Yeah. There's the whole world. Um, yeah, but... No, I think we've covered quite a bit this afternoon, Matt. We've really ranged. Um, like a Range Rover? Yeah, yeah, we've really done the all-terrain. And now my housemates are home, so there you go. You've done very well. Thanks, Nick. Timing-wise. <laughs>